this morning as I guess since I'm in charge of doing this, it's my custom, how about that? Um, we invite some great preacher from the past or theologian from the past uh, in here, and, and I, I do one of his sermons, okay? This is Charles Spurgeon. This is not Randy Jenkins. Now, I would love to say that, you know, as I said last week, that in 100 years, they'll be preaching my stuff. No, they'll be quoting me as I quoted Spurgeon. That's what they'll be doing. Now, Spurgeon was not a theologian, so to speak. He was a preacher, okay? And he preached in the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, a huge place that could sit 10,000, and he did this before this came about. And he would preach mm, almost every day somewhere. So it's not as if he had a whole week to work this stuff up. This stuff came out of him each and every day. And then, of course, there was somebody who wrote all this stuff down. Now, I have taken one of Charles Spurgeon's sermons, and I have condensed it. Because Charles would speak for at least an hour. Okay? And I just didn't think we were up for that. Okay? Um, now, I, I know that... Um, you, I know sometimes I go long, but I don't go as long as Charles. Okay? Now, he didn't write theological books. His commentary on Psalms is the definitive commentary on Psalms. The Treasury of David. It is a fabulous work. It is so, it's so devotional while being scholarly at the same time. But the big thing was... He communicated this great theology in his sermons. So there were a lot of expectations for the listening audience to pay attention. And, and I mean, I've changed some of the words in here so that we might understand them. Some of them were deep theological terms. Others were simply terms of the day that I've had to translate into modern terms for us. But when he would preach, he would give the truth. And it was that that finally really led to his uh, death. He died basically from a broken heart because the Reformed Baptists that he was part of in London didn't like what he was preaching. They didn't like the, God, God, the doctrines of the sovereignty of God. They didn't like the Reformation doctrines. They were much more uh, what we would call some, you know, more free will Baptist in, in our society. And they eventually forced him out. And that really broke his heart. Uh, but Charles Spurgeon was one of the great uh, preachers. Um, the church that he preached in was built in 1861, and he um, preached there for some 30 years. Some 30 years. So we turn to this sermon, which was preached on Sunday morning, February 27th in 1887, and it is on Psalm 46. So if you would open your Bibles and stand if you are able, we will look at Psalm 46. Now, this, he only preaches through the first three verses, but it's a beautiful psalm, and we will read all of it for today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, come upon us today as we read your word, as we dig into your word, that your Holy Spirit would fill us, give us understanding that these things would be rich within us, so rich that they simply would flow from us, our very lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 46, for the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah, set to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, 
though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. And you'll notice the word selah there. That means stop, contemplate, reflect on what you have just heard. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Those who are truly chosen of God, called to be His own people, should exhibit a fearless courage. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, should keep their hearts and minds of all who rest in God. Indeed, the Lord is our God and our refuge and our strength, and we are entitled to seek after a spirit which shall bear us above the dreads of common man. It is not every man that can sing this song. He must belong to the believing company. He must have God as his God. He must, like Israel, have learned the art of prevailing prayer, or else he cannot sing this song of peace amid the commotion and calamity of his life. No man can truly sing this psalm save those who are redeemed. This is a psalm for all Israel. It is specially marked as committed to the charge of the sons of Korah. Korah, Dathan, and Abram perished because of their presumption. They went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them. They and all that appertained unto them were swallowed up. Now this is astonishing to read, that the children of Korah died not. They were made singers in the courts of the Lord, and surely they would sing with particular emphasis these words, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be moved." They saw the earth open her mouth and swallow up the offenders of their household while they were preserved by sovereign grace. Surely the tears must have stood in their eyes when they sang that verse and thought of the opening gulf at their feet. The circumstances under which a man is saved will influence him the rest of his life. Delivered from so great a death, believers learn to trust that the Lord will yet deliver them still. When conversion is especially remarkable, the music of gratitude is pitched in a high key, and the converts reach notes that are otherwise impossible to others. It is for the sons of Korah to sing, therefore, we will not fear. It is significant also that this psalm was to be sung upon Alamoth, which in all probability means to be set to music so that the maidens of Israel could sing this song. Those whose hearts are chaste with the love of Jesus Christ. You, upon all others, are called to sing these words. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be moved and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. It was because of Luther's chaste heart that God delighted 
in him as he sang this song. In the days of the most furious opposition, Luther was known to say to Melanchthon, Come, let us sing the 46th Psalm and let the devil do his worst. This morning I shall say a little, and as an injection, a little for Spurgeon is a lot. Okay, So this morning I shall say a little, first upon the confidence of the saints. God is our refuge and strength. Then I will speak upon the courage which grows out of it, therefore we will not fear. We shall close with a brief, brief survey of the conflicts to which that courage will be sure to be exposed. So first then, let us carefully consider the confidence of the saints. God's people have a sure confidence. Other men build as best they may, but true believers rest upon the rock of ages. Their confidence is altogether beyond themselves. Their confidence is altogether beyond themselves. In this song, there is nothing about our own virtue, our own valor, our own wisdom. The heathen moralist boasted that if the globe itself should break, his integrity would make him stand fearless among the wreck. But the believer has a humbler and a truer reliance. Though the earth is moved, he is undismayed. And this does not arise from his own self sufficiency his own personal strength but from God who is his refuge and is his strength he is fearless not because of his original stoutness of heart and natural firmness of will but because he has God to shelter and to uphold him if he does not fear calamity it is because he fears God and no one else our psalm begins with God and with God it ends the God of Jacob is our refuge we may be as timid by nature as the conies, conies are rabbits, but God is our refuge. We are as weak by nature as bruised reeds, but God is our strength. We never know what strength is until our own weakness drives us to His omnipotence. We never understand how safe our refuge is till all other refuges fail us. When the earth is removed and the waters of the sea roar and are troubled being driven both from land and from sea we hide ourselves in God if we look to ourselves for courage we shall fail in the hour of trial when the earth is removed the mightiest men are the first to shudder the greatest boasters become the worst cowards for confidence and peace we must say unto the Lord the God of Jacob is our refuge this confidence is gained by an appropriating faith this confidence is gained by an appropriating faith. Peace comes to me not only by what God is, but what God is to me. God is our refuge and strength. This God is our God. It does not say that God is a refuge of strength. He is our refuge and strength. You never enjoy the goodness and the greatness of God if you view it in an abstract manner. You must grasp them as your own. It seems a daring act for man to appropriate God, but the Lord invites us to do so. He says, let him take hold of my strength. Why hesitate to make this appropriation? Look at the men of the world. Would, they would appropriate the whole earth if they could. And shall not the Christian appropriate those heavenly things for which he has made the heir? An heir of God, a joint heir with Christ Jesus. Let us join with the prophet Jeremiah who says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. As with Thomas, we behold the scars in his hands. Let us say with him, our blessed Redeemer, my Lord and my God. 
the deep peace which is our right and privilege will not be ours unless with assured faith we take the Lord's Lord to be ours in, full, in the fullness of his love. So come, let us say God is our refuge and our strength. The confidence will be greatly sustained by a clear knowledge of God. This confidence will be greatly sustained by a clear knowledge of God. Acquaint yourself with God and be at peace. Thereby, be, thereby good shall come unto you. If we are greater students of God, how much happier we would be. The proper student of mankind is a student of God. When the men of God make God their study, they discover in him those things which make him a refuge for their hours of danger, a strength for their days of labor, and a help for emergencies of every kind. We ought to be able to say more of God today than we could a few years ago. The general notion of and of God that we had at our conversion should now be deepened into rich and instructive particulars. We ought to now see the very blessings which come to us from God and speak of Him under this threefold description, refuge and strength and help. All this will be certified to us by our experience. All this will be certified to us by our experience. This psalm is best sung by men and women who know what they are singing because they have felt the preserving and delivering power of the grace of our God. I shall put it to you this morning, you that know the Lord, can you not say by experience God is our refuge? You have fled to Him. Have you not found a shelter in Him? There have been times of trial so severe that you could not endure its force, but were compelled to flee from it. You fled to God. Was His door ever closed against you? Did He bid you to go elsewhere? Did he abrade you for your presumption in coming to him and expecting him to care for you? When you have hidden yourself in God, has he not afforded you every blessed retreat? When you have entered into your chamber and shut the door behind you and only you and God were there, have you not found the peace that passes all understanding? Yes, you have been as safe and as happy as no when the Lord shut the door behind him. Look at the little chicks under the wings of the hen. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Have you not found it so? My happiest hours have not been the days of my merriment, but in the nights of my sorrow. When all waters are bitter, the cup of divine consolation is all the sweeter. When all the waters are bitter, the cup is sweeter. For brightness, give me not the sunlight, but the superior glory of our Heavenly Father. It is only necessary that the Lord should smile upon us. It is not essential to happiness that we should be in good health, or even that we should be of naturally cheerful spirits. God gives us the truest health in sickness and the most tender joy amid depression. God is our refuge. It is many a day since first we went to Him, and we have been many times since, and he has never failed us. We can also say that God has been our strength. What many and varied shapes that strength has taken. Many of you had had strength for the daily battle of the business life. Others for domestic life. Under fierce temptations you have remained unconquered. Under stern duties you remain unwearied. 
You have had strength for exhausting service and crushing suffering. Had you been left to your own wit and wisdom, they alone could not have sufficed for you. Real strength is given to you from above. See the widow who has brought up a family of children. How did she do it? See the girl placed amid coarse and brutal men of licentious character, and yet she remains pure. Can she tell you how she did it? God is our strength in ways unknown to ourselves. Our trials are all different. No two of us have proved the Lord in exactly the same way, but yet our testimony is uniform. The Lord has been all sufficient. His strength is perfect. We have also proved another thing, namely that God is a very present help in times of trouble. Now we have had helpers after the flesh who have not been present when we needed them, but it has never been so with God. Has he not said, before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear? Right where the burden was greatest, God has been immediately present to lighten the load. He is not only present, but very present, more present than our nearest friends. He is not only by our side, but he is here within us, in our hearts, in our thoughts, at the springs of our lives. Beloved, you have sometimes complained that God was absent from you. But let me ask you, did you ever find that the Lord was absent from you in your trial? In the burning furnace, if ever anywhere, you shall see one like unto the Son of God, like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and instead of three in the furnace, there were four. He said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Wherever else you may suppose him to be absent, he shall surely be in the midst of trouble. Now, this is a matter of experience because we have experienced it. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be moved. Having already tried and tested God, are we now going to doubt him? We feel something of the mind of Sir Francis Drake, who, after he had sailed around the world, was buffeted by storms on the River Thames. What, he said, have we sailed around the world safely, and shall we we be drowned in a ditch? God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Why should we fear? Better yet, how dare we fear? Once more, dear friends, in order to realize the fearlessness of which the text so sweetly speaks, we must not only have a past experience at our back, but an immediate enjoyment of divine help. An immediate enjoyment of divine help. If you can truly sing in your soul, God is my refuge and strength, then it will be impossible for you to be afraid. Impossible for you to be afraid. A sense of the nearness and graciousness of God will be an antidote to whatever lies ahead. I have often stood at the bedsides of dear brothers and sisters, members of this church, when they have come to die. And I have, without exception, always found them perfectly restful and free from fear. I came this week out of a quiet bedchamber where I saw a Sunday school teacher passing away. It was a little sanctuary. Everything so quiet and peaceful and happy. Death cast no shadow over the sweet face. Heaven lightened the features. It seemed more like a marriage day than a death day. Why are those dying beds so happy? Because these people have any goodness of their own? Well, far from it. Without exception, they disown it. Because they are strong and self-contained? No. 
I might speak of a young and old believer, greatly emaciated by long sickness and yet greatly strong in their faith. What brings this peace? Truly the Lord was there. His realized presence makes death a small matter. So secondly, I come to notice the courage which grows out of it. The courage is very full and complete. This courage is very full and complete. Therefore, we will not fear. It does not say that we will not faint and swoon, but therefore we will not fear. God does not take away from us those natural fears which lead us to seek the preservation of our life. But he masters them by a serene security of the heart produced by his presence and his presence alone. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We see the position to be full of danger, and yet we know there is no danger, the Lord being near to us. Therefore, we will not fear. It is a most delightful thing when the heart is placid because we believe in God and in His Christ. This peace is the peace of God which passes all understanding, not a pretense of peace, but a divine reality which the world can neither create nor destroy. Then further, this courage is logically justifiable. This courage is logically justifiable. It is not the courage of nature, such as dogs or bulls possess, neither does it grow out of a lack of feeling. The courage of the Christian is not the hardness of a Stoic. The Stoic boasts that he does not feel anything. The Christian does feel, feels as keenly as anybody and much more than most. And yet, for all that, the conscious love of God lifts him above fear because God is present as the refuge of his people. It is unreasonable for them to fear. Observe then, dear friends, that whatever happens to the man of God, God is his God. He need not fear because his ground of confidence cannot be shaken. God is there in the midst of everything. No calamity will change God's love to us. Suppose we should witness an earthquake, a tempest, a famine, pestilence, a war. None of these would separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These temporal calamities do not touch the vital matter. Such things have no influence upon the unchangeable love of God except to make it more clear. Suppose again that the most awful things were to occur. Would they not occur according to God's decree? We believe in a God who has arranged all things according to the counsel of His will. Do you believe that anything is left to chance? Is any event outside the circle of his divine predestination? No, my brothers and sisters. With God there is no contingency. The creator of all we see has gathered up all the reins of all the horses. And he guides them according to his infallible will. There is a foreknowledge and a predestination which concerns all things. From the motion of a grain of dust on the threshing floor to a flaming comet as it goes by the earth. Why should we fear? Furthermore, do not you and I believe that God overrules everything? From even that which naturally might be called evil is turned to good for our account? The Lord's goodness extracts the viper's tooth and supplies an antidote to the poison. Who is he that can harm us? No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall condemn. And thirdly, 
we look at the conflicts to which this fearlessness will be exposed. The conflicts to which this fearlessness will be exposed. If you become fearless through the presence of God, that courage will be tested. It will be tried in ways that are novel and unusual. It will be tried in ways that are novel and unusual. Though the earth be removed. Now those who have been in earthquakes tell me that it is a feeling most singular. It does not seem like a common shake, but as if everything has given away all at once. You do not know what to do. The very foundation of everything has slipped under you. Now suppose that the Lord is about to try us in new and unheard of ways, yet having the Lord as our refuge and our strength and as our present help, we will not fear. New trials will bring new graces and prove the value of the old promises of our Lord. Certain trials are mysterious and threatening. Certain trials are mysterious and threatening. It would be a great mystery if we were to see the mountains carried into the midst of the sea. There they have stood for ages, and should they take a leap, we should be at our wit's end to account for such a motion. If some giant force plucked them up by the roots and tossed them into the midst of the ocean, we would be amazed. But some afflictions are of that order. We just simply cannot understand them. The sting of sorrow often lies in the unseen. What we cannot comprehend astounds and appalls us. Yet, my brethren, we need not fear if God is with us. Yet, my brethren, we need not fear if God is with us. Through the mountains be hurled into the midst of the sea, God is our help. The Lord could put them back into their place again. If all the devils in hell had a hand in your trouble, you need not therefore be alarmed. For one God is greater than a million demons. If all the legions of the pit rush forth in host, innumerable as flying locusts, all armed to the teeth and eager for your blood, yet the Lord of hosts being with you, you would march through them as a man through tall grass. Therefore we will not fear, though the hills amid the seas be cast. Our God is mightier than all the mysterious forces we face. So some trials also seem to be utterly ungovernable utterly ungovernable though its waters roar in trouble you cannot do anything with the sea when it rages when it hurls itself in great masses there is no stopping it it yawns in fathomless abysses as for its noise it drowns out your thoughts the water is everywhere and certain troubles seem to be like that in our lives they rush upon you all of a sudden they multiply in their swelling waves they drive furiously and they carry all before them. And yet, even then, we need not fear. If God is with us, he is mightier than the noise of many waters. Yes, than the waters, waves of the sea. Let the sea roar and let its waters be troubled. Our faith shall never yield to fear. Sometimes we get afraid through sympathy with the fear of others. Through sympathy with the fear of others. Observe, it says, and the mountains shake with its swelling, as though when the sea had taken to its roaring and its trembling, the mountains followed in sympathy. So when we see the strongest people giving away and panic seizing them, we might be apt to yield. But if God is with us, we can hold firm in the truth that He is our refuge and our strength, and we shall not fear. My friends, are you particularly 
cast down about the general state of society? Do you think that the powers of darkness in this country are having it all their way? That before long the worst elements of society will gain power and trample out all virtue? Are you afraid that society will attempt to force the church to act in ways that go against the teachings of Christ? Are you afraid that the banner of Christ will be taken down and the banner of Satan raised high above all society? Well, let me ask you this question. Is God dead? Do you believe that while God lives, the devil could conquer anything? Though the earth gives way, the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, Though the mountains tremble at its swelling, we will not fear. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what is it that we have to fear Here you are, our fortress, our refuge, our strength, our very present help, when? In times of trouble. What do we have to fear? You never promise us that we will not face trials, that we will not face temptations, that we will not be subject to persecutions. In fact, you say they hated Christ, they will hate us. If we seek to follow Christ with all that we are, we can expect to be persecuted. But yet, why should we fear We are in the midst of your hand. There's nothing that can take us from you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that has been given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, we should be able to walk out of here and face anything. Now, we might not always be the smartest people. We might not always do the right thing as we should. But there is no reason we should fear when we do the things of God. There is no reason we should fear any man, for we rest in your hand. We cannot be taken. You cannot be moved. Lord, what great love is this? Love that would keep us in your hand for all eternity. Heavenly Father, we, we can do nothing but thank you and praise you. In our sinfulness, we are here, and you come and grab a hold of us, and you never let go of us. We shall not be afraid. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.